My wife and I take our kids up to the mountains, seven to nine thousand feet elevation to go camping. It rained and it hailed and it was cold, but we had a great time. My wife is like special forces camper. She knows how to camp in the cold. She knows how to camp in high elevation. I mean, it is an adventure, but we did it. We caught six fishes. They were really tiny. Felt guilty, so we kept throwing them back. And the last one, we're like, this is all there is. We're going to eat some of this. So that last little fishy, bless his soul, fed our stomachs. We got him. And speaking of fishies, we're going to talk about a story about a big fish. But the story is not just about a big fish. It's more about a story of God and a story about man. And that is, that is the story of Jonah. You know, as summer's ending, college is going to be beginning, school semesters are starting, your school, back to school, shopping is probably done by now, if not as a sale at Staples. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very uh, important time for me personally because my daughter's going to be entering the junior high. And so tonight we have a special date, daddy-daughter date, where I get to uh, give her a gift to uh, symbolize that, or asking her for permission that I can become the guardian of her heart when it comes to uh, boys and men in the future, that I would be the protector and I would hand that over one day uh, to the man that God has provided for her to be with. And so we're going to have this special time tonight. So I'm very nervous about tonight. Pray for me. Uh, this is a big talk because there's a lot of things that happen in junior high. A lot of things that you don't think happen, happen in junior high. Uh, just a little asterisk, parents, don't be deceived. A lot of stuff happens in junior high. So um, we did this when she was 10, but now she's going to a new phase. And every, every, every marking point that she grows up, we have these moments where we can engage her spiritually and let her know how much we truly care about that relationship. So open your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah. If you're not sure what that's it's not sure what that is. That's between Obadiah and, and Micah. I'm sure that helps. You know, it's tucked away in the Bible with all those Star Wars characters. You know, Obadiah, Jonah, Obi Wan, Micah, Nahum, and the Book of Chewbacca. It's in there. It's it's kind of it's smashed in there. If you got to use the table of contents, go ahead. There's no shame in the table of contents. Use that as well. And the point of this study is for you to discover what this story means to you personally. To be engaged into the mission of God. What does that mean? Why do we do this? Why are we studying Jonah? It's because what summer intends to do, it tends to, do, to distinguish our passion for God. That's what it does. You know, we get the barbecues going, we start thinking about ourselves more, what we're going to do, and we forget about the lost world among us. And I do not want us to be Christians in name only. That's not what we want. You're just a Christian by the title. So what does it mean to be engaged into this mission of God? And are you engaged in the mission of God? Is your family engaged in the mission of God? And what does that even mean, the mission of God? And, you know, one of my goals is to equip you to engage your world, your community, with the gospel. My job is to equip you, to equip the saints for good works. And that's just the vision of the church. It's not a bunch of, we don't want you a bunch of sheep who come in and watch me live out my spiritual dreams for God. No. 
We want God to work in your life. I want God to work in your life, empowering you to use your gifts. So I want you to understand something. We can experience this through our fellowship. And that's what makes our church very different from most other churches, is that our fellowship is powerful. It is bonding. It is, it is unifying because we're committed to each other. Most of us in this room, we have really deep relationships with each other. That's what we do. It's what we create. Most churches are dying to have this. They filled up on Sundays, but they don't have the relationships. Look in your Bibles in Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read them from the English Standard Version. It reads in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and said, Arise and go to Nineveh. I just want to remind you, this is not a story about a magical fish. It's a story about God. And how God wants to help the human heart, the condition of our hearts. There are real people. Jonah had a father. Jonah was a prophet of Israel. There are names and dates and details that match up with history. It's a real account. It's a historical genre. Not a made-up mythology report. Jonah is also in the book of Kings, 2 Kings to be exact. And it says that he was a successful prophet. He was a good man, a good prophet. And he did good things, just like most of us. But the other part about this, it's connected to Jesus. This story, what happened to Jonah, is directly connected to Jesus. And Jesus even talks about the book of Jonah and what happened. And so it's very historical. In Matthew 12, verse 41... Jesus says, when Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days, I'll be in the belly of the earth for three days. He's saying, that fish was real. That story was real because it, it, it was, the, uh, it was the, uh, the, the, the shadow of the reality of what's going to happen to me. Jesus is saying that. That I'm going to die and be buried for three days, just like Jonah was in the fish. It was a historical story. Not just a cute little bedtime story. And it was, it, was, it was huge. Verse 2. He says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Two things about Nineveh we can just, re- get, just get a glimpse of right here. One, it was a great city. And two, it was a very wicked city. Yeah, that's usually what happens with great cities. There's usually a lot of wickedness. Just go to Los Angeles. There's a lot of things going on down there. It was huge. Jonah in the belly for three days. I'm going to read you like a little excerpt of what I, what I read during my studies about the people of Nineveh. And this is what the people of Nineveh were like. Okay, They were known as some of the cruelest people in the ancient world. And they boasted in their history annals about what they did. It says, quote, When they would conquer another city, they would skin alive a lot of the men, women, and children. And spread out their skin over the city walls. Then they would bury these skinned people while they were still alive up to their heads in the sand and pull out their tongues and drive a stake through their tongue into the ground. So they, they would languish in pain and die of thirst. And then at night, they would make him listen to Miley Cyrus CDs over and over again. <laughs> no, okay, that wasn't an historical account. I made that part up. They would rape the women and kill them. 
and they even boasted about raping and killing little girls. One account describes how they would treat soldiers and impale some of them alive outside the city gates. And they would behead all of these people and make a mountain of heads outside the city so they could say, this is the city the Assyrians have conquered. And these were the people that Jonah was called to go by God to preach against it. You know, so many times I want to, I want to share my faith and advance the gospel with people that are likable. It's my nature. Oh, he said hi back. He sounds really friendly. I should invite him to the gospel. And the guys who are absolute jerks, I tend to ignore sometimes. Don't we all do that sometimes? We, we kind of avoid the nasty ones. But we look for the ones who are really nice. That's our nature. He says, Jonah, go to these people and preach against them. And two things we see is that they were here and Israel was here. And you can imagine the conflict of these two nations. The rub. Them killing some of the Israelites. You know, Jonah was a northern prophet, so he, he, was, he may have been aware of some of those, those, those dirty deeds. Can you imagine the feelings of bitterness? The feelings of resentment? You want me to preach to who? Those are evil people. I don't want God to save them. No way. Can you imagine that bitterness? And Jonah does not want to go. Most of you know the story. He does not want to go and do this. Can you blame him? Let's not be so, so judgmental against Jonah. Why didn't Jonah just go share his faith? Because there was a lot of hatred there. There was a lot of killing there. Someone kills your friend's kid? You want that dude to go to jail forever and be miserable? Look in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And here is where Jonah, being a good man, a good prophet, this is where his rebellion begins. A couple things to notice first. Jonah was a good man, good prophet. And, and, and it, it's, it, it's, it strikes me because rebellion is simply saying no to God. A lot of times we go, well, I've done great things, I do great things, I'm a good person. But rebellion is saying a simple no to God. And that's what his rebellion is. Write that down for yourself. That's rebellion. When God says to do this and you don't do it or you don't want to do it and you make up reasons to justify why you don't do it, it's rebellion to God. And we tend to evaluate our walk with God by comparing how godly we are to others. That's our natural inclination. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy or that brother in the church. So I'm doing pretty good. No. You're rebellious in your relationship with God when you say no to God. Well, I go to church more. I give more. I'm more moral. No, no, no. Lordship is one of those things that if it's not absolute and total, it's not real. Saying Jesus is Lord is absolute. It has to be that way and it has to be real. You can't say Jesus is Lord and then say no to God and yes to God when you feel like it. 
That's not the relationship you entered with God when you got baptized. That is not the relationship that God wants from us. So there are a lot of godly people who look at their walk with God in every other way, but there are some areas where they say to God, I ain't doing it. Which one's your area? Where you say, no, I will not, because it, 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 it activates a hurt. It activates a pain that, oh no, don't go there. Don't, don't you go there, Padre. Don't you do that to me. And we say no. Maybe it's a relationship for you. Maybe it's a relationship that's not pleasing to God and you know it. Maybe there's a sacrifice God has put on your heart. Maybe it's time that God wants you to invest. But you're like, no, 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 no. Maybe He's convicted you about something. And you know you're convicted, but you're still saying no. I'm convicted, but I'm saying no. Maybe it's a sin you need to confess. Maybe He's he's leading you to do something spiritual. Maybe it's like Jonah, to go and save people who make you struggle, who annoy you. You're never more out of fellowship with God when you say no to God. You lose your fellowship because it's rebellious. The second thing I noticed about this passage is that he found a ship that was ready. Whenever you're ready to say no to God, there's going to be this ship that says, Wow, it's the Lord. He's the only to do it after all. I have an escape plan. There's a ship that's ready. Look, I have money too. I'm going to board it and go. God doesn't really want me to go to Nineveh. Oh, well, why would this ship be here? It's over ready to go. You know, the Mediterranean, they, they weren't like shipping off you know, every hour. It took a while to get a ship ready. And the ship happened to be ready when Jonah was saying no to God. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> When we always say no to God, we walk away from God, there's some ready to take us away. It must be the Lord. He changed his mind. And we assume that readiness is from God. You know, I have to, sometimes I have to have these sad conversations with people who I meet and serve the Bible with about, yeah, I left my wife because I was miserable. But this woman I met, she was so amazing. She met all my emotional needs. So God wants me to be happy, right? And there lay the destruction of his wife and children. I've had these conversations. Because they were in a miserable marriage. There was that boat. It was ready. It was a signal. Let me tell you something. If you want to run from God, there will always be a boat ready for you to leave. If that's where you're headed, there will be a boat waiting for you to go away. And we have an enemy whose entire role in this earth is to make sure that ship is ready. He wants you to make that... Yeah, yeah, you don't need to do that with God. This ship is ready. Maybe it's a great sale on Craigslist. Oh yeah, come on over. Oh, you're spending over too much. This doesn't matter, man. Let that greed flow. It's a sale. Maybe, Maybe it's... hey. Instead of going out and sharing with, 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 my, with my Bible talk or the friends in my family or church, this is, I, you know, I, let me work more. I don't really want to go out and go door knocking and meet people. I'll just, go to, I'll just say I have to work more. Oh yeah, we got many hours for you, bro. You can work 70 hours here. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's our, we hide behind our kids to avoid the mission. Maybe it's just you know, the single scene. Maybe you're too busy spouse hunting 
instead of, instead of being engaged in the mission. Some of the single sisters. It consumes you. It consumes us. Some of the single brothers. It consumes you so much. It's all you think about. Then you start saying, well, I, at least I have peace in my heart, so this must be right. You know, when Eve had peace in her heart too, when she took the apple from, or the, the fruit from the tree, she had peace in her heart. And what did God say? Hey, I told you no. A lot of times we get faked out by, well, at least I feel, I feel peace about it. I feel, I feel my conscience is clear. Yeah, but it doesn't make us innocent. Right. It doesn't make us innocent. You know, in verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. So he gets in this boat, and there's a, and there's a storm. And it was a mighty tempest on that sea. That's what happens when you run from God. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. So the situation is, these pagan sailors are scared out of their minds, and everyone's praying to God, and hopefully one of their gods, they're thinking, will pick and help them, and, and they pull out their crystals, their amulets, their hankies, they're, they're, they're just getting crazy up there. Help us! Help! Somebody help us! Isn't that the case when there's a storm in your life? Lord Jesus, help us! And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. How ironic is that? They're having a theological discussion up there and Jonah the prophet's down there asleep. Down there just in a deep sleep. Because he wasn't engaged. Because that simple no to God, that rebelliousness, it shuts off your spiritual vision. You can't see prosperity in front of you. These guys are calling out to God and you're the prophet. He goes down. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible picture of Jonah's heart spiraling, spiraling down in, into the progression of sin. And it, sin starts so small. Disobedience starts so small. It causes so much damage. You ever go to the beach and you go play in the water and lifeguard house 12? You kind of... What? Okay, the cooler's there. Food is there. Cooler, lifeguard twelve. And then an hour later, you're in lifeguard house thirty-four. You got to watch the drift. You know, adulterous relationships just don't happen like that. They happen because ma, the uh, the wife and the husband aren't connected to God and are not connected to each other. That's why it happens. So in verse six, so the captain came down. Can you imagine that scene? The captain comes down to your, to your little place where you're sleeping in a deep sleep. What do you mean? What, what, do, you, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then he said to one another, Come, let's cast lots. That we, may, we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot, surprise, surprise, <laughs> fell on Jonah. It's like spinning the roulette wheel and it falling on Jonah again and again. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? What's your job, man? What do you do? And where do you come from? And what is your country? Can you imagine that interrogation? And what people are you? Because they're, they're scared to death. And they're saying, Jonah's caused this. Who are you, man? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, 
the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that what you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Another thing I want you to write down. Our disobedience affects other people. It doesn't just affect you. It affects other people around you in your life. You may try to deny it, but it does. It affects people. Every time you go out and decide, I'm not going to even try to make a disciple, make a Christian. It has affected the people around you. The people at that, at that grocery store, or that, or that gas station, or, or, or part of an organization that you volunteer for are there. But your silence, it affects them spiritually. They don't have a chance. You've robbed them of the chance to say no. You didn't even give them a chance to say no. And we get so discouraged when we hear no. You're giving them a chance to say yes or no to God. And you deny them that. Because we're just disobedient. We decide not to share. Not to open our mouth. How many times do you travel from place to place and see people and just say nothing? You rob them of the opportunity just to say no. Because we can't stand rejection. That's why we don't do it. I can't stand to hear no. It's embarrassing to hear no. It's awkward to hear no. So you gave them no chance for hope. And that's what Jonah wanted to do with the Ninevites. I don't want to go there. I want them to die in the darkness. That's where he was at. I don't want to go preach the gospel. Let them die in their sin. Sin is never private. For some, our family and friends suffer. For some of you, your sin makes you a bad father. An unfaithful friend, a disappointing husband, a nagging wife. It's what sin does. It's what disobedience does. And the greatest gift I can give to everyone who knows me, especially my wife, my kids, people I come in contact with, is being close to God. It's the greatest gift I can give to mankind, is being close to God. You know, it's, it's, it reminds me of when I fly in an airplane, which I hate flying, and the turbulence comes, and you know, I feel like Jonah. I mean, I feel like those guys, those sailors. You know, someone pray. Some people can't pray. On a plane, pray. Pray to God saves us. And it's just turbulence. You know. And sometimes when it's really bad, that the oxygen mask comes down, and they always instruct you. I pay attention to the safety instructions because I want to know what happens in case some disaster happens. But they always tell you to put your oxygen mask not on your child first, but on yourself. <coughs> Because you can't help him if you're dead. I was like, oh, that's a good spiritual point there. I can't help people if I'm dead spiritually. And some of you guys, you've lost your passion. You lost your passion. It's on the 101 somewhere or the 118. You lost it. It's right next to my metabolism. gone. Don't know what happened. And what God does in the story, it's amazing His love. He sends a storm to break His people, to break Jonah from self-reliance. 
He sends a storm to rescue Jonah from self-reliance. That's how much God cares. Because if God didn't care, just take off Jonah. I'll find Because God can find any prophet. There's a whole row of them. You, you're next. Go. But God loved Jonah so much. He goes, I'm going to send a storm because I want you back. And maybe God sent a storm in your life. Just to get your attention. And one of two things will humble us. Our belief in God will bring us to our knees. Or our affliction will bring us to our knees. And some of you are there right now. We're afflicted. And you need to submit to God. Stop fighting God. Stop running from God. Imagine if Jonah continued to fight the storm. It would have killed him and everyone on board. But when he submitted, he says, throw me into the sea. Verse 11. They said, what shall we do? That the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea, verse 11, for the sea grew more and more violent. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. A lot of times we know what we're doing. We're not like, dude, dude, dog, dumb and stuff. We don't know what's going on. Why is God doing this to me? We know. We know. And God loves us enough. And nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. These men tried to save Jonah. They didn't want to throw Jonah overboard. These men were good men. They're like, we're not going to kill you. We throw you. You're dead. We're going to row back. And they're trying hard. And they're muscling. And they're moving. But they can't do it. They realize they cannot save them. And Jonah says, throw me over. You know, I give, these, I give kudos to these pagan sailors. Yeah. At least they didn't want Jonah to die. But you can't be in a rowing contest with God. You can muscle through. I can muscle through it. I can make it. I saw Rocky Six. Yeah. No. No. You can muscle through everything. Use our knowledge and our head knowledge to figure it out. God has His finger on the stern. And we're just trying to muscle. And He's got His finger there. Uh, 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 uh. Just obey. You know, verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord, the sailors, Oh Lord! This man who, whose life, we don't want him to perish. Please don't lay on this innocent blood of, on him, on us, Lord. But do as you please. And they threw Jonah overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, as they should. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. Just imagine that for a second. There's this incredible storm, which sailors are scared of. Sailors are pretty brave men. They, they can handle rough sea. This was such a great tempest of a, of a storm. They were scared for their life. And they throw Jonah overboard and then it's calm as a lake. Wow. And then the Lord provides this huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. 
Let me give you some thoughts about this, this, this passage that I think will be helpful for all of us. Number one, the book of Jonah, it contrasts the heart of God with the heart of man. You've got Jonah and God very contrasting here. You know, I always hear people tell me, well, the Bible's judgmental, and how dare, how dare God punish people for sin? But the moment that they get a taste of evil, what they want is revenge. You ever feel that way? Oh, yes. oh they shouldn't be hurting each other. Someone hurts you, like, oh, sucker, let's go outside. I'll show you something. And we fail to understand that it is our sin to God is what Nineveh's sin was to Jonah. It's the same. And Jonah runs away from his enemies, and God runs toward his enemies. Jonah's on a mission of revenge, meaning I want them to die, because he hates the Ninevites. And God is on a mission of rescue, because he loves them. Jonah is all about his own self-protection, and God is all about self-sacrifice. That's the contrast with the heart of God and the heart of man. Do you really understand God's character when you read the Bible? And when God offers compassion where we want vengeance and we resent it unless we understand that we've been forgiven. And some of us, we're not about the mission. We're not generous. We're not deeply passionate about God because we've forgotten that experience, a deep experience of what grace really means in our hearts. When you realize what God has forgiven you of, you're like, man! But it's deep. It's not, it's not superficial. It's a deep understanding of your sin. What God's done for you. And then number, number two, the book of Jonah gives you a better picture of what a sinner is. Jonah was an upstanding guy. He wasn't some reckless prophet. He was a good guy. I mean, he'd be a great member of the Shoreline Church. But he's just not willing to leave everything for God. And that was Jonah's dilemma. And one or two things would happen through his preaching. Nineveh wouldn't repent. And they would probably kill Jonah. Or Nineveh would repent. And they wouldn't be destroyed. But that would be bad for Jonah in his mind. And Jonah would not obey God. Or he would obey God up to the point where it became personal. When he got personal, he didn't want to obey. That's, that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's exactly what the human condition is like. We're fine when we obey it makes us happy. When we obey it makes us mad or sad or angry, we don't want to do it. Because it's personal. Don't change my character, God. Only acknowledge the good things I've been doing, not that one area in my life where I haven't given everything to you. And God wants that area. Because He loves you. You do it to your kids. Your kids are good kids. But you don't ignore that one thing, oh, that's going to that's gonna cause a lot of problems if I don't deal with that now. You do it for your kids because you love them. God does it to us because He loves us. You know, God, Jonah tries to run from the presence of God. What is God calling you to? Think about that for a second. What is God calling you? What's that area where you're saying no to God? And what's He calling you to? 
You know, the, the presence, when Jonah runs from the presence of the Lord, that word in Hebrew is actually the face of the Lord. And you cannot run from God's face. It's everywhere. And Jonah tries to run. He gets on that boat. He runs, but he cannot escape the face of God. No matter how long you try to run for, you cannot escape the face of God. He's always present. Will you follow Jesus to the ends of the earth? Or only up to the grave? Will you follow Jesus to the ends of the earth? Will you give Him everything you possess? Well, I'll give most things. I say this because some of your Christianity is not about God, it's about you. We have this, we have this distorted picture that Christianity is about us. Do you know Christianity means death? It means hardship? It means suffering? And we're not exempt that just because we live in Ventura County and we have pretty mountains and nice weather. It's hard. You say, man, it's hard. Good. It should be. You're a Christian. We get all mad when we start suffering. We get all mad. Why is this happening to me? I'm not sure. Yeah, you should. You should, brother. What are you going to tell that first century Christian when you see him in heaven? He's bleeding still. He's like, yeah, got my head cut off. How are you? Oh, dang. You had to go to Friday Devo? Oh, my. Oh, dang. You had to go to church every Sunday? Whoa. We met every day in the temple court, sucker. <laughs> we get all we get all like all bent out of shape when something like what's happening to me. No, it's good. Maybe God's sitting in that storm to bring you back to reality of what it really means to be a Christian. You know, every year in Yom Kippur, you know what the Jews say in the synagogue when they read the book of Jonah? They say, quote, We are Jonah. We want to help. We want to go into the world and make a difference. That's what they say in their synagogues. What do we say? We're the disciples. Are you Jonah? Are you going to be like Jonah? Are you going to say, I am Jonah? When you get out of your car and go into the store and there's people surrounding you, are you going to be like, I am Jonah. I'm going into the Vons. And I am Jonah. And we get in that line. And that cashier, she's new. Taking forever to check out the little cheese. It's like she's got three products and taking forever. And then you are stuck in line for a reason. Just to your left, there's a guy looking at the magazines. He's got his iPods on. He's an Ninevite. Of course, he's into himself. And we're like, oh no, he's on the phone. Oh no, he's got his iPad on. Oh no, he's looking at the magazine. Oh no, he looks busy. Tarshish on the boat. Woo! Take off. <laughs> Can't share with that guy. He's got his, he's got his iPod on. He looks busy. He looks bad. He looks like he's had a hard day. You know what? I've had a hard day. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have to do this. What is God calling you to? Thirdly, the book of Jonah gives us a picture of the real Savior. In Matthew 12, Jesus says he was a, Jonah was a prophet. He said that, that Jesus' death and resurrection was a fulfillment of the sign of Jonah. And Jonah was cast into the sea, and the sea became calm. He was swallowed by a fish and taken to the depths of the ocean. Three days later, he was brought back to the land of the living and spit out on the beach. Jesus was cast into the ocean of God's wrath at the cross, and the great tempest of God against him because of our sin. 
He was in the heart of the earth for three days. And just like Jonah, he resurrected. The difference, of course, was that Jonah went through all this because of his disobedience. Jesus went through all that because of our disobedience. That's the difference. God will love us enough. His storm is not, it's, it's not retributive. It's restorative. Because if you're a Christian and disciple, God's already saved yours from your sin. So when these storms come, they're more restorative type storms. Because you're running away from something. Jesus already paid for our sins. But God loves you enough to bring you back from your sin. So I'm calling on all of us to submit to God. To submit to His will. When He says, go do something, go do something. There are things that are, that are there that we don't have to necessarily follow because it, some of it is the old covenant, but some great principles there. But there are some things that God says, hey, you do this. Do this. Do that. And we're like, why? Why do I? No, just do it. You know, when God told the, God's people and when they were wandering the desert for 40 years, He says, go wash outside. Go wash this. Go do this. Go wash this. Go wash that. Go wash this. Clean here. Be seven days away. And they're like, and you ask, why would God do that? And the, during, at the same time, the Egyptians, their medical solutions to your problem was, was countered. Get the, get the feces from the cow, rub it in your eyes. Get some bat dung, mix it with some cow urine, put that on your eyes. That was their state-of-the-art, highest civilization on the land. That was their solution. What God was doing, God was stopping bacteria from growing and infecting His people. But they had no clue. Because the Bible's not a science book. But that's what God was doing. He was preserving His people. I mean, He told them, do this, do that. Don't ask me why, just do it. And they spent 40 years in the desert without disease. Isn't that amazing? So a lot of times when, you, when God says do something, don't be like so much like, why? Or when, or when some disciple asks you, do this, bro. God says so. Well, bro, are you doing it? We get that way, how are you? You're challenging me. Are you doing it? Get all weird. You got to see God's mercy in this. We got to see that at times we're good people, but at times we're flat out disobedient. We are. And later on, Jonah becomes dutiful. He does, he does do it, but he does it out of duty versus his heart. And God wants your heart. And God wants to transform you. So in the, in the weeks to come, we're going to look at the book of Jonah. Next week's going to be our, our campus service. They did such a great job. I said, you guys got to do that again. Yeah. You got to preach the word again. That's awesome. So that's, that's, that's what we're going to do next week. After that, we're going to continue the book of Jonah as we come back from our vacations just to really, really understand a couple of very important things is that, number one, we've got to stop fighting God and become passionate about God. And number two, we've got to appreciate the storms in our life because God truly loves you. Looking forward to talking about Jonah. Thanks so much, guys.